Hi, I'm Kat Carney, and you're listening to Health Discovered from WebMD, the show dedicated to taking on important topics and discussing what they mean for your health. As always, we bring you fascinating stories and unique perspectives while looking for unexpected discoveries along the way. We'll also explore thought-provoking ideas and questions like this one. Now that the Centers for Disease Control has updated their guidance on masks, what else do I need to know about wearing them correctly to make sure I'm protected against the Omicron variant? Here to help us answer that question is Dr. Sarah Lynn Mark. Dr. Mark is the lead on COVID-19 for the American Medical Women's Association and the former senior medical advisor for the White House, HHS, and NASA. I think masks are an important medical device, and we know they can be extremely effective if they're worn correctly and if they're high quality. We've often seen them used as chin straps and nice decorations, and they really have been ineffective in that approach, and I think have given people a false sense of security. I do believe we need better masks. The challenge I have is that for years, I've known that the N95 masks, our respirator, do not fit women's faces, and I've also had significant concerns about children. Now, if you're appropriately tested, fit tested for these masks, they're not the most comfortable, and I have a hard time imagining that children are going to be able to wear them for hours a day in school. They're hard for health professionals to wear. So these are some serious issues. I think what we have to do as a nation is really address the issue of masking to ensure that they're quality and that they're affordable and that people know how to wear them effectively. And how do we ensure that our mask is a quality mask? Well, there are different ways to do it. NIOSH approved masks, of course, are the gold standard, and you can see that on the mask. The FDA has a wonderful site at FDA.gov, which lists masks that have been approved. So that's another resource. And then I'm sure online one can also check. One of the challenges we have is that all of us are buying products online these days, and some of them can be counterfeit. And again, you think you're wearing them correctly, you're trying to do the right thing, and they may not be effective. Another way to also work the situation is if you can't get these higher grade masks is to perhaps double mask. I think you may remember in the springtime, we talked about doing that. And so combining perhaps a surgical mask with a very tightly woven cloth mask, or maybe even a KN95 will will help. You know, we're dealing with a virus that has a very difficult variant in front of us. And that's the Omicron variant. It's very, very transmissible, probably the most transmissible virus that we have on this planet right now. And we need to do everything we can to protect ourselves. Now, I admit that I'm guilty of wearing the same mask over and over and over again, just like a baseball cap. Should I be new- using should I be using a new one every time I go out of the house? Yeah, that's a kind of million dollar question. And, and and I ask myself that all the time too. And I monitor it by, well, was I in a high risk environment? How big was my exposure? Can I can I do it again? I think you know, the jury's still out, but yeah, let's be practical. We don't have a thousand masks at our fingertips. So some of the suggestions have been to take the mask and just let it be sanitized in the sun. People have said they put it on their dashboards or their cars. I put mine outside uh, for two days. You know, do I have the perfect science behind that? No, but I believe it may help. The other issue we have to think about is if you've been sweating and wearing the mask, may not be the most sanitary, so you may want to throw it out. I mean, that was one of the advantages of a cloth mask. You could wash it and rewear it. So we, we have to think about, you know, the practicality. But if you've been in a high-risk area, you've been wearing your mask for a while, just throw it out. There, it's just not worth it. 
And what is considered a high-risk area these days in the age of Omicron? In the age of Omicron? Well, to me, almost everyone is a potential source of uh, infection. So, you know, you could say just going out your door is a high-risk area at this moment. But I think if you're going into an environment where there are a lot of people around, let's say into a grocery store or to an environment where people are congregating, then that to me is a high-risk area. Consider that versus walking down the street and you're not seeing anyone. That to me would be a lower risk, not not zero, but definitely lower risk. Now, in the first year of the pandemic, cases of the flu were very low due to lockdown and people were very vigilant about social distancing. But now that we're out and about, flu cases are on the rise. What are the dangers of rising flu cases while we're still battling coronavirus? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I actually use this as an example of why we know masks can be quite effective. You're absolutely right. We barely saw the flu last year, and it was because we were using very basic public health measures, social distancing, hand washing, and also wearing our masks. And you saw how effective that was. So the challenge we have is you can be co-infected. As we talked about previously, you can be co-infected with different variants. You can be co-infected with flu as well as Omicron or SARS-CoV-2. And what we see is that they impact different parts of our respiratory tree. We believe that Omicron tends to replicate in the upper airways. That's why with children, we're seeing bronchiolitis and and croup. With the flu, we know it can center into the lungs. And so you may have that double whammy. And then again, remember with flu, we're often worried about bacterial super infections after you have recovered because we basically have wiped out our own natural immunity, you know, our our protective pathways in our bronchial tree. So we have to be really careful. And I think, you know, as we're all indoors right now, it's not just influenza and SARS-CoV-2. We have all these other respiratory viruses that just love the wintertime, you know, cold, dry air, perfect. Stay suspended and that's the way we inoculate ourselves. So if someone starts feeling poorly, has sniffles, How can they tell the difference between the flu, a cold, or perhaps COVID-19? Yes, that's a question we asked last year a lot as well. And then they're very similar. And we know everybody responds very differently to this infection. We tended to think that if you had loss of smell and, and taste, that, that might be associated with one virus over another. And now we're seeing, you know, really overlap. And with Omicron, it may not be the loss of smell and taste. I think it's hard to discern. I think um, for some people, a cold was just, you know, very mild respiratory uh, infection where they had a mild cough and sniffles and a headache. And then we saw that with Omicron. Now keep in mind, coronavirus is a coronavirus. So whether it was the coronavirus cousin that caused the common cold or the coronavirus that is associated with Omicron, you know, they have a very similar symptomatology. So that's hard to discern. And then with flu, we often thought it was like being hit by a Mack truck. We always describe that in medical school that the patient will come in and say they felt like they were just knocked down instantaneously. It was with horrible headache and myalgias, muscle aches and fever and just feeling complete fatigue. Well, we're seeing that with Omicron as well. So I think it's sort of hard to discern and that's where testing comes into play so that you know what you're dealing with and also how you might be able to treat it. We have antivirals for both uh, coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, as well as certainly with the flu. When you talked about testing, a lot of people, if they can get their hands on an at-home rapid test, 
are using them and they're swabbing their throats instead of swabbing their nose. Has the guidance changed on how to use the tests? No, and you're bringing up a really important point. These tests were authorized to be used in for an, as a nasal swab, <clears throat> and people are tending to want to go to their throats because they're presenting with sore throats, pharyngitis. So they would think, well, this is where the virus is replicating. Maybe I'll get a vi higher viral load if I swab my throat. There's some difficulties with that. We really don't recommend it unless you are a trained professional. And additionally, they've just not been authorized for that. So I'd be very careful. But you're bringing up a really important point. And that's the issue of these rapid tests. You know, the sensitivity of these tests increase as you have higher, higher viral load, which tends to happen over the course of the illness. So, for example, you may test negative in the morning, but be positive in the evening or the next day. So that's why we're recommending trying to do serial tests. But you're right. It's often been very difficult to just get a test. But the more symptoms you have, the higher sensitivity it will be. And it's really important to serial test. Now, vaccines are still being hailed as our best protection against severe COVID-19 illness. Should people be asking for their flu shot at the same time that they're getting their COVID vaccine, or would they need to wait in between shots? Yes. Yeah, so the government has said you can get them at the same time. We tend to do that because if you've got someone in the door, take advantage of that opportunity. You may not get them back again. I've had some patients say, well, if I'm going to feel bad that day, I might as well feel bad for both of them on the same day. Um, it's not to say that one increases the risk or the severity of side effects. It's just that you, you may have them. That's part of part and parcel of having vaccinations. But yes, we do recommend you can do them at the same time. Some have said, I'd rather stage it. Uh, I think as we're now in mid-January, we're in the peak season, I would try to get vaccinated as soon as you can rather than waiting. And speaking of vaccines and waiting, the CDC is now recommending that everyone age 12 and older get their booster shot as soon as they're eligible. And they change the eligibility from six months to five months. Why the change in recommendation? Such an important question. And as I've often said, we do not know the duration nor the durability of our immune response to natural infection nor to vaccines. It's just what it is. And we're learning. We're, we're gathering data. We're finding that the antibody levels tend to drop off sooner than we thought. Again, you know, we have another part of our immune system that we tend to negate or, or forget about, and that is our T cell, our, our cellular immunity. So I think that still plays an important role. But what we measure and monitor often in our clinical trials are our antibody levels or our neutralizing antibody levels. So we are seeing that these levels drop. And we're also seeing clinically out in the real world that more people are getting breakthrough infections earlier than we, we anticipated. Well, I, I'm going to admit this as well, along with wearing my mask over and over again. I actually <laughs> waited seven months to get my booster instead of five. Is that a problem? No, because you got it. I think, you know, we're, we're all in this together. I, I've often described this as a global experiment, and we're trying to do the best and we're learning as we go along. And it's probably a really uncomfortable position for most people. I know for us as clinicians and for people who are involved in public health, it's challenging because we like to have really clear boundaries and protocols, but we're having to go with what we have in front of us. So at least you did it. And, you know, it, it, I think everybody has their own individual um, decision tree that they have to make. So as long as you did it, that's great. Um, again, I, I don't want people to feel penalized if they make decisions that they think might 
hurt them because they're making them at that moment for the best reasons. Is someone considered fully vaccinated if they have all of their shots but still haven't gotten the booster? Yeah, that's again another million dollar question. And it's one of how do we define fully vaccinated because that has significant implication. For example, in Washington, D.C. today, we have a new vaccine rule that if you don't show that you've been vaccinated, you don't have entree into a lot of different facilities around the city. So there's a group that believe that you know, we need to consider, quote unquote, the boosters basically for the mRNA, for example, as the third shot in a series. And, and that's really where I'm going these days. Uh, we, when we talk about the fourth shot, we're saying you're now doubly boosted. <laughs> it's it's just, it, it will get ridiculous. So, you know, we're learning as we're going along and we're learning what our immune system needs. And I, I see this, for example, with mRNA as the third shot in a series. Now, again, uh, the government has to come back with that formal decision and that will play a significant role because we often use the term fully vaccinated, right? And, and we anticipate that that was, for example, too, with the mRNA shot. And that will have implications. So how does one define it when you're using, quote unquote, a vaccine passport? So this is something that I think really needs to be decided sooner than later. Now, if I have a vaccine passport, we don't have them in, in my state, but if I'm in a state where I have the passport and I can go into the gym, I can go into a restaurant, do I still need to wear a mask? It's a really great question. And uh, my answer is yes. So let's talk about what does a vaccine do for you? A vaccine is designed to decrease hospitalization, hopefully death, and hopefully will prevent some transmission, block some of that replication. But, you know, masking is so important. That's your protective barrier. And, you know, I often define it as if you go into battle, you go in with your guns, and I see guns as vaccines, but you also go in with body armor. And to me, that's masking. So it's not one or the other. I, I think, you know, there was a challenge that came up around May 13th of this past year. And that was, well, if you get vaccinated, you can basically throw away your mask. And maybe at that moment that day, that might have been fine because we were dealing with that variant at the time. And then we moved into Delta and we realized, no, that does not stand. So I, I don't think it's either or. I think we should just be so fortunate that we have all these weapons in our arsenal and we need to use them and use them well. Now, some experts are suggesting that eventually everyone will be exposed to the Omicron variant. So some people are throwing or attending what they're calling COVID parties with the sole intent of becoming infected with the virus. Why is this a bad idea? Yeah, that's something I'm concerned about. I believe that everyone's going to be exposed to this virus on this planet. I don't believe that everyone has to be infected by it. Again, we have weapons in our arsenal to try to prevent that. The bad part of it is you don't know if you're going to be one of those folks who's just not going to do that phenomenally well, that you may end up in the hospital or potentially dying or someone around you may die from it because you get infected and you infect somebody. The other issue, and, and this is something that I really hope we pay more and more attention to, is the development of long COVID or what we call long collar syndrome or post-acute COVID syndrome. It's the sequelae of having that infection. And you don't know if you may get it from, you know, months, weeks after you've had your primary infection, your initial infection, it could last days, weeks, months, and potentially a lifetime indefinitely. And so is that an entire generation of people who now have chronic disabilities? Because we're seeing with long COVID that every single system of the body can be impacted. There are over 200 symptoms that have been already listed, and we don't have any effective way to truly diagnosis or to prevent it other than just not getting infected. So I highly not recommend doing that. 
Because I think some people are hearing the headline saying, well, Omicron isn't as severe as Delta. Mm -hmm. So let me just go ahead and get it over with. But the bottom line is COVID still is not something that anyone should want. Is that correct? That's correct. And then I go back to that statement that I made. We don't know the duration nor the durability of our immune response again, to vaccines as well as to natural infections. So perhaps you have gotten infected today. How do we know you're not going to get infected a month from now from you know a similar strain? It's just, you don't want to do this. And that's why there's so much effort to trying to slow the spread down. And, and the other part of it is that a lot of Americans have comorbid conditions, including just obesity. And we know that impacts your immune response. So you truly don't know how you're going to do. And then again, as I mentioned, you could be infecting other people around you who may not do as well. So I think it's a, it's a misnomer. And to me, any infection is not mild. You talked about slowing the spread. Once you're, once you're showing symptoms or once you've been exposed to someone who tests positive for COVID, there are different guidelines for quarantining versus isolating. What is the difference between quarantining and isolating? So quarantine means that you've been exposed to someone who's been infected, have tested positive. Isolating means that you have yourself tested positive. And then there's some question of, well, what do you need to do if you've been vaccinated? It goes back to that question of how we define fully vaccinated and what does that mean? And then how long do you have to stay out? And then there was this big ticket question about, do you need to test? And then CDC came back and said, well, we're not saying you can't test. If you can test, that's great. But, you know, we're, we're not demanding it. So I think, you know, the jury's still out on what is best. There's some interesting data out of England that showed that after about five days, you could potentially infect people at a risk of about 30%. That went down to about 17% at seven days and about five or 6% at the end of 10 days. So, you know, we're looking at population data to make these decisions to make these policies. And, and as I've often said before, health decisions are never made against a blank canvas. The political, the psychosocial, the economic environments shape these decisions. And it was, you know, CDC was just trying to kind of thread that needle to get people back out there so that we had individuals who could work on the front lines and in essential services as well as trying to minimize, you know, the risk to the public. So it's it's good common sense. If you're not feeling well or if you're sick, you stay home. We, we've all known that. And then the challenge is we just need to get more tests out there and tests that are accurate, that are done appropriately. People have done tests, uh, rapid tests, for example, and they haven't done them correctly. And so they get these false negative results. So, you know, we, we have a lot at stake here because we just need to slow this virus down because it really, it's like a wildfire in all our communities. And what are your final thoughts for people who say, I want to do the right thing. I'm going to get my vaccinations. I'm going to wear my mask, but I still want to live my life. I want to go places. What's the best way to balance that? It's such an important question. And I often get from people, I want my life to be the way it was. And I certainly understand that. And I think we all have experienced probably a component of PTSD at this point, post-traumatic stress disorder, where if you see a large crowd, your heart starts to race because you wonder who in this crowd is infected. Or if you hear someone sneeze or cough, you're thinking, oh my goodness, have I been exposed to something? And then you're also concerned about your children who may not be able to get vaccinated this time. 
very young ones, or if you have someone at home who's immunocompromised and has not mounted a good response. So all these issues, you know, play a role. I think, you know, we are living our lives. It's just, it's a life that's different than what it was two years ago. And you make do. It's it's, I often say magical thinking is not going to get you there any faster in real life. And what we have to do is use our public health measures and, and basic common sense. I think the sad part is that we probably could accelerate the trajectory to getting us to that quote unquote new normal if we used all the weapons that we had at our fingertips and, you know, not politicize these issues or demonize others, just work together. We may be able to get there faster. I've often said also there's beauty in very simple things. And this is where we have to start acknowledging that. It's not the big things that, you know, will necessarily give us the most joy. It's being able to have that dinner with a friend or family member. And it's using common sense. You know, it's risk-benefit analysis all the way. But if you have a big event, stay away from people for a while. Do your testing. Do what we know what you need to do to protect yourself so that you can enable yourself to gather with others safely. Excellent. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to add? I have often said that hope springs eternal and spring is coming. And on that horizon, we will have better therapeutics. We will have better testing. We certainly will have better vaccines. And just as our ancestors went through pandemics over the thousands of years that we know about, we will get through this too. Just we need to work with each other and not fight one another. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health Discovered from WebMD. I'm Kat Carney. Before you go, please take a moment to subscribe to Health Discovered wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next time. 